People deluded, I'm back again. Another day, another podcast. Really and truly, I'm probably forcing it. It's the international break. There's really nothing to talk about, but you know me. I can't stay away from making content. And people, it's appreciated in regardless of whatever medium you watch my, my stuff on, whether it's my YouTube channel, where it's the primary source of my content, this new venture in regards to the podcast and everything else, man, and just supporting me in general. People, please don't think I'm doing lip service or just saying these things for the sake of saying them. I really appreciate all of it, people. So without further ado, we might as well crack on now. I found it kind of funny. It's, it's not funny, really, and truly. You shouldn't laugh at things like this, people. It really, it really isn't. But apparently, Danny Drinkwater, his latest injury, we all heard that it was it was a result of off-field incidences. But it's actually now come out he's got into a physical altercation with a player, either a player or former player for Scumthorpe United. Long story short, he tried to talk or move, as we call it, Ramaya. He tried to move to someone else's girl, tried to chat her up. Apparently he was drunk. And I quote, he was carrying on like an idiot. But I quote, he said something like, mate, I don't care. She's going on with me. And apparently he got, more or less, he got rushed. He got, he got kicked up a bit. People were screaming, break his legs. And it's not funny at all, but you just shouldn't be behaving like that especially to a man's wife and for Danny Drinkwater it's been a mad fall from grace since he was part of the Leicester team that won the league he's been capped by England forgive me if I'm wrong no chance of that he went to Chelsea obviously I don't begrudge him for leaving Leicester for joining Chelsea excluding that season it's a good move but you knew he wasn't going to play and he barely played I can't tell you a game he actually played I can't I'm sure most Chelsea fans have forgotten he's played for them he's now at Burnley and suffering from injury problems and it's just going bad to worse. Like I think Danny Drinkwater should have followed his name and actually drank water that day, and he wouldn't have got his his face kicked in and whatnot. But you live and you live and you learn. Um, apparently he was thrown out of the nightclub as well, and apparently he was told multiple times to stop talking to the guy's girl, and he just didn't want to listen. So he got dealt with. So moving on, pardon me. Moving moving on from that, people. Um, I'm sure you've actually all see you've all you've all heard. Um, what was I gonna say? Um. Forgot what I forgot the point I was going to make to be honest. So yeah, that's it. Um, from an Arsenal perspective, I'm sure you've all seen Reese Nelson and Eddie Nketiah three goals between them in their latest game for England's under 21s against Turkey. Now Reese Nelson didn't have the best of games, um, but he grew in confidence as the game went on, and I'm happy he scored because he does look like a confidence player a lot at times. And obviously, there's no reason for him not to have any confidence. I mean, he stayed he stayed at the club. Um, he's staying at Arsenal in terms of his club future. The manager started him in two Premier League games. Yes, he hasn't played against Liverpool and Spurs, but he started them previous two games. He's been talked up highly. You've seen, obviously, his future doesn't necessarily directly correlate, but you've seen Mkhitaryan um, and Iwobi leave, two players that at times last season quite frequently were played on the flanks. So it's a show of faith by Unai Emery. But he does look like someone that does need a bit of encouragement. He does look like a player at times... He's very hard on himself and that's a positive because it will demand the best of you but it can be a negative. So I'm happy he scored for England's under-21s to be fair just to give him that sort of confidence. He played. I don't think he didn't complete the whole game but um, Eddie and Ketty have played 90 minutes, forgive me if I can't remember and he scored two goals. Anything he touches is scoring two goals and hopefully you just want to see him keep you just want to see him keep it up to be honest with you people you want to see him get some starts at Leeds and just mean um, continue as he as he means to end because he started off his club and definitely international season this 2019-20 campaign in fantastic fashion so big up to the both of our young G's obviously Tyrese John Jules Miguel Aziz um, Saka they've all been called up respectively for English youth sides as has young um, 16-year-old schoolboy Mon Louise 
Our former player, um, Yunus Moussa, has been called up to England's under-18. So it's nice to see the Arsenal contingent, contingent sorry, is still going strong. People, that brings me back to my next thing relating to Arsenal. I don't want to play devil's advocate, people, but I was having this debate yesterday in, in the bar with a mate, yeah. Obviously, the two don't correlate, but I'm pretty sure you'd all agree, no matter who plays in Arsenal's defence, whether it's a back three or a back four or whatever, whether it's Socrates and Holding or Socrates and Louise or Chambers and this guy and that guy and this guy, Maitland now is at right or left back at times, and just about any sort of mix and match. It might not be perfect, people, but you still see the same sort of core principle of playing out from the back. Centre-halves are going to receive the ball. Do you get what I'm saying? We're still showing willingness to play out from the back. And for all our question marks in terms of how Arsenal defend and Arsenal defenders, playing out from the back, obviously there's times, there's time, there's a debate to be had over when to do it and when not to do it. But I wouldn't say playing out from the back in the grand scheme of things is necessarily an issue or something that most fans would press to want to improve versus other stuff. So my question is this, people, if if Una Emre, and I'm not critiquing him, if Una Emre, since the moment he's come into the club, has shown a willingness to play out from the back and he's and he quickly got them playing like that, and like I just said, it doesn't matter who is in defence, people, you still see some sort, obviously, the better players playing in defence, just on top of being better defenders, and the better ball players, you are going to see an increase in quality in terms of ball playing, clearly, people. Obviously, Matip, Matip isn't the worst of defenders on with the ball at his feet, um, but if it was him and Joe Gomez, they'd be okay. But in terms of ball playing, you'd clearly see, uh, on top of Van Dijk just being a better player, you would see a, a, a clear increase in, 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 in terms of what he's doing on the ball. Am I, am I telling lies, people? But the core principles would still obviously be the same. So if we've managed to implement that, yeah, take the same principle and logic. How comes we don't look like any better in defence? Again, he's got a long way to go before he can improve our defence. He's been given a shorthand. This isn't a criticism of Emery. It's just... Like I said, when we're, it doesn't matter who's playing from the back, playing in the in the back four, three, five, whatever you want to call it. There still is a base level of playing out from the back. So why is there not a base level of defending, of being proactive, of following runners, regardless of who's in the team? The reason why I say this is because clearly we work on playing out from the back and it's been ingrained in all players. Why is defending not necessarily ingrained in all players like that? Again, the club are clearly working on it and whatnot, but I just think it's funny because people, myself included, will say, oh, Holden's injured, Turney's injured, Emery hasn't had this and that. And it's true, people. I'm not saying he must do mad bits with, 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 a, with a weakened team or specifically a weakened defence, but how comes there's no base level of defence? Even with our first choice defence, is there a base level of, of defence? Um, of, of being proactive or following runners. You see what I'm saying, people? Because it's there. It, regardless of who plays in that defence, full-backs are pulling out, centre-halves are coming in, Xhaka's dropped... Xhaka's irrelevant, actually, to this argument, but Xhaka's dropping in to receive the ball of the centre-halves. Leno's still looking for them. If Martinez ever plays, he'll still do the same. So there's a principle there, but what I don't see the same switched-on nature in relation to defending. That's just me playing devil's advocate. I know, in reality, Emre's been given a shorthand. There's been injuries. I think, for first and foremost... He's got to look at how these players think in regards to defending. He's got to change their thinking before he can even talk about tactics because we have to revamp how we actually, as a club and as an individual man-to-man in the team, how we approach defending. Because as you lot know, I'm focusing on the defence, but the defence isn't just down to defending. At times... 
There's been crazy individual errors from members of the team all over the field. At times, clearly our defence, specific individuals, not to name drop them, <coughs> Mustafi, even though he's not playing. You've seen errors. Louise, you saw Louise's mistakes. You saw mistakes against Spurs. These are all isolated incidences. But if we go through almost every goal we've conceded over this start to this season and last, and even before that, we can find different players... Um, to hold accountable for different mistakes. So I'm not getting at that. I'm just saying we've got, I think we've got to change our thinking and Emery's been given a shorthand in, in that regard. So the first thing would be changing our thinking way before we talk about tactics. Like you lot, I'm keen to see Turney come back, Bellerin come back. And I, I want to play holding. Holding's not perfect. I think fans need to be careful in that. Obviously, we want these players to play, but it's only Arsenal fans that do this thing where or fans in general, when it's always the player that's not playing that's needed the most, and you just expect one player to come and be the messiah. Holding is still a young, naive at times defender. He's not. He's going to play better than some other players, of course, but he's still going to make mistakes. It's not a prime Tony Adams coming into our defence to fix it. Bellerin, there's question marks over his game. Clearly, we need our first choice right back, but he's not going to fix anything. I think Kieran Turney is going to be a great signing for us, but at the end of the day, he hasn't kicked the ball and he's still carrying a knock. We need to be careful. I said this even by my own logic. I wanted Saliba to stay this season, but I support the loan because, again, we're dying and crying as fans to have a, a competent defence. If Saliba comes in because of the potential, his physical attributes, his technical qualities, people will forget he's an 18, 19-year-old and expect him to fix all mistakes when reality is... Holding and, and Saliba specifically, they're going to make a lot more... Well, Saliba's not played for the team, but they're going to make a lot more mistakes, people, and we need to. Holding isn't perfect. Holding isn't going to be perfect for another two, three years. He's still going to make mistakes. He's going to have great games. He's going to have naive games. The same is going to happen, not just in not just them, but the whole squad. You look at the Premier League, we've got one of the youngest squads. I think our average age is 24, 25. On one hand... Arsenal fans, we know this project stuff. We've been here before where there's been a group of young players. We talk about the future, bringing in players to supplement them and seeing in the next two, three years we, where we can go. We obviously had the homegrown project I described of 2012, 2012. The last project I think would be, you know, when Santi came in, then Ozil, then Alexis. And then we looked like we had, I won't say complete squad, but it looked like the banner, the banner stuff was over and we're turning some sort of new leaf and we're moving to different levels. And there was a point, if we had a better striker, maybe we would have won a league. Of course, that's all ifs and buts and maybes. We can deal with the facts, which, which, which we didn't. But our average squad age is 25. With that being said, there's potential there to build to the future, for Emre to stay and build something, for the club to build something, um, for players to really mature and understand the way of thinking. On top, from a business perspective, the players that it is football, players will be sold, players want to leave and do other things. Average squad age of 25 shows me, apologies if you can hear the helicopter people, windows open. That, that shows me that there's resale value between the team. Because you look at, who would you, you'd say, excluding the obvious ones, like Aubameyang, regardless of his age, could probably go for decent money. Lacazette, the same. But you look at it at any moment. Um, apologies, people. I should really shut this window. Give me a sec. Apologies for apologies for that, people. I really needed to shut that. It's unprofessional of me. But well, like I was saying... Um, in a couple of, even now, Gwendozi, I think Gwendozi bring you about 20, 20 to 40 million now. But in the future, you're looking at that, surely that's a 30, 40 plus million pound player. Terrera the same. Joe Willock, let's just, because we don't know how good he is. Um, he's been very good and he's, he's surprised and I really love Joe Willock. But you'd think minimum 20 million. Maitland now is 15 to 20 at this moment in time and these can all increase. 
how much could Nelson, Emil, Tyrese, John Jules, Saka, all of these sort of players within the academy, how much can they be generated for? Because not everyone's going to make it here, people. Not just these players, but players that are brought in as well. Um, they're not going to make it here. So if they can be sold for profit and whatnot, then it'd be good. But the flip side of that is, and the window's open again. That's what I get for not closing it properly. Apologies again, people. Very unprofessional. But the flip side of that is, you have to be prepared for our players to make mistakes. Like, Gwendozi's played enough times to want to, to need to learn that I can be better defensively and I can do several other things. But it's not easy. They're not going to improve overnight. So I think fans have to accept these. We're going to make individual errors and mistakes. Ironically, I say that if you look at the mistakes we've made so far this season, it hasn't come from these young players. It's come from Socrates. It's come from Leno. It's come from Xhaka. It's come from David Luiz. Do you get it, people? Four, um, four, five, however many names I said, experienced players. Players you'd expect to guide these young players, to mould these young players, to not hold their hand because they're not babies, but guide them through these tough periods. Really and truly, as much as I want to see them, I think these young players, they're in a period of self-learning in that Emre can only tell them so much. I don't necessarily think there's leaders to help them on the side. So they're learning from self-learning. They're learning how to carry a team themselves. They're learning how to put up with pressure themselves. They're learning the street smart and the intricate things that go into being a professional footballer themselves, people. So I think we've got to be a bit patient, people. I don't expect Arsenal to do anything anytime soon in terms of winning major trophies. I say that. Of course, I'm an Arsenal fan and I would like to see that sort of stuff, people. But it is what it is. Moving on from that, and it did scare me. I've seen some reports saying Nicolas Pepe is injured and some saying he's not injured. He just wants to go back to Arsenal and he's, he's, he's been in, it's been liaised in conjunction with Arsenal, the Ivory Coast FA and whatnot, that he can return to Arsenal to better prepare himself for the Premier League because obviously he didn't have the best of pre-seasons. He didn't have any pre-season because he had a long season with Lille. Then he went to the African Cup of Nations in which he didn't have the best of tournaments. Was it fatigue? Was it burnout? Was it just poor form? Who knows, people? Did he need to be mentally recharged? Because, like I said, people, um, we'll never know when this Arsenal transfer actually was coming into play. But if you look at it, he's had a tough season at Lille. There was however many clubs after him. He's had the African Cup of Nations. The mental fatigue that comes with making a transfer and having to be quiet and getting these things done, maybe these all affected him over the summer and he just needs a, hand, a, a sort of handbrake. I mean, it's someone needs to put the handbrake on, on and, and just release him somewhat. Um, but I'm happy to hear that from Pepe. For me, Pepe, I can't believe some Arsenal fans. Some Arsenal fans make me sick, to be fair, and they're spoilt. Like, I'm not saying you can't. I'm say, away from positive criticism and or constructive criticism better yet. I'm not saying that. That's a, that's something we can have. But I'm seeing people, no disrespect to these players, but Arsenal fans over the last few years have seen their attacking options as Giroud. Yeah, Giroud, Sonogo. No disrespect because I like Iwobi, but he's not prolific. Iwobi, Mkhitaryan, Theo Walcott, bog standard players, people. And I can't understand that. You've seen these things and then you see people getting at Lacazette and Giroud. I mean, Lacazette and Aubameyang at times. Because I'm sure Arsenal fans and fans in general have seen people saying, oh, Lacazette's not fast, he's not this, neglecting his other strengths. People saying, Aubameyang don't do this, he don't do that, neglecting his other strengths. People get at Reese Nelson and Pepe and say they're this, they're that. Of course, Reese Nelson is a young player. He's going to frustrate. You don't know what you're going to get from him. But for me personally, one, 
I'd rather pursue with someone like Reese Nelson that's going to have good games and bad games and frustrate because there's ability there. Away from ability and being a young player, even even if he wasn't to improve, which I want him to, even if he would, same goes for Pepe, even if they weren't in, to improve, they are two attacking options we didn't have last season and they're two better attacking options than we had last season. Both of them are better wide options than we can deploy in our squad currently and could have deployed last season. I, I say that, the only one that you could probably find is forcing Aubameyang out wide and we all know how that one goes it does a job for the team but it takes away our threat attackingly like you saw against Spurs he had a good game and he obviously scored but the minute you saw him go in the middle about no not about me Gwendozi found him he put a shift in down the flanks but from a Spurs perspective one of the top goal scorers last season in the league one of Arsenal's most potent strikers that they've had in recent years you're not going to mind him in them positions there are you people so that's a debate to be had in itself but I can't understand it because even if these players frustrate they're much better than what we had Pepe is going to be a hit in this Premier League I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to score 20 goals 20 assists what I feel always going to be like Mo Salah and Mane and things I hope he is I hope he is I think he can be our new Alexis Sanchez in that someone that excites the play the fans and whatnot um and things like that I like what I see from him. He's on taking his man on. He can take his man on. He strikes fear into play. Even though they Liverpool beat us, Van Dijk didn't want to tackle him. A player like that is going to get us some goals, some assists, some penalties and things like that. Of course, his finishing needs to improve. But the, the early building blocks, I feel, are there. Um, I was really trying to focus on Pepe, but Nelson, the same. I feel both of them are two options we didn't have last season. Two greater wide options than we had last season. I feel both of them are great options to have in the squad to rotate and do whatever Uno Emery wants to do specifically with them. I think Pepe is going to be a success and it's nice to see that he's doing this. I feel, I mean, um, what I mean by that is that he's returning back um, to work on it. I think you've seen many players. Sane was cast off after six months people i think we've got to wait on pepe i think pepe probably wants to bulk up a bit and he probably wants to adapt because it is more than just being the, the 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 pace of the league and stuff it is a culture shock people it's, it's I, I do think we get a bit of ahead of ourselves in the premier league when we say it's end-to-end -end, it's never action because there's games there that, that simply doesn't happen but you all know in the premier league it's not so much necessarily about technical ability and things clearly it is or city wouldn't be in the top of the league clearly it is but more often than not, it's about grit, determination and heart, especially when you play for these top six teams, especially when you play for Arsenal, especially when you play for Arsenal away from home. Everybody wants to fancy us at the top six. Everyone thinks they can beat us in the top six. Everybody, obviously, Emre's come in and certain things have changed, but everyone's still probably got this perception that they're soft. They can get, you can get under their skin. Slowly but surely, we've got to change that sort of thing. So it's nice to see that from Pepe, people. Moving on from Pepe, um, Arsene Wenger told Ben Sports that Apparently, negotiations or discussions, better yet, took place with Arsenal officials over having a role at the club. However, he felt it's a bit too early to return home as he wants Emre and his staff to do their work freely without external pressure. Now, I can't speak for anyone, but based on the article I read, it didn't specify Emre, um, Emre Wenger's position. It can't be a director of football because we've already got people within them thingies. Um, so, like Arsene Wenger once said in relation to Thierry Henry and all these people, we just because you're a former personnel doesn't mean we can create artificial roles. You lot know me, I'm a big Arsene Wenger fan. Obviously, he needed to step down and whatnot, but I'm a big Arsene Wenger fan. I feel if you love Arsenal, you love Arsene Wenger, regardless of his shortcomings. And again, he's not, he's not immune from constructive criticism. We all know... His greatest strength and ultimately his greatest weakness was was 
being loyal to players that simply weren't good enough. And obviously the game the game somewhat left him, to, to be honest, people. But if you love football, you love Arsene Wenger, you love what he's brought to the league, and obviously he's in that hallmark of great managers. But despite all of that, there's no reason for him to come back to the club despite despite that because the first thing I see is that Wenger is quite opinionated. I won't say Wenger had the club in his own image, but since him and him and Sir Alex Ferguson, you all know that they were more than just managers. They were accountants at times and things like that. And Wenger was that. So obviously you want conflict. Do you do you not think Edu, Josh Cronke, and the rest of them agree on everything? They were they they highly educated individuals in regardless in, in in regards to what fields they've come in they're strongly opinionated it's all about collaboration there's going to be heated discussions and things so i'm not speaking about that because if they were all singing from the hymn sheet same hymn sheet we would not be doing what we're doing currently as a club in terms of the positive window and it might be the same previous regime but at the same time too many chefs spoil the pot. If we bring, if we invent an artificial position, let's just assume it's not direct to a football, but something of a similar standing, it kind of dilutes other jobs and it makes them harder. And you need to remember as well, one benefit with Raul Sanye and the people that, and Emre and everybody that's come into the club is these lot are not emotionally attached to Arsenal people. Like they, they're fully not emotionally attached. So sometimes that can be a bad thing, but it can be a good thing because they're looking at decisions, whether it's letting players go or bringing players in, what's the best for the club? Obviously, because Wenger was here for so long, he had a hard time differentiating, differentiating what is necessarily good for the club and what's good for himself. Do you get it, people? Whether that was bringing in players, selling players, stepping down or whatever. So if it's one of them roles, it's probably not the best thing to do. Although, obviously, regardless of what people say, let's be honest, people, Wenger has that. You look, Real football fans know, yeah, regardless of it, yeah. If Wenger sits you down in a room, he can he can potentially persuade anyone to do almost anything apart from Buki stuff. We all know the dangled carrot of Arsene Wenger talking to you about joining a team and whatnot could help. So imagine like if we are neck and neck with a club for the next for, for the next big French star, um, Raul Sanye's done his job, Hosfame's done his job, Edu's done his job, all these backroom staff have done their jobs and it's us neck and neck with a with a team. If we had Wenger in a certain sort of role where he can go and be that sort of sweetener, as you saw with him taking Aaron Ramsey off United and things like that, um, could that help us? Um, it could also just be an ambassador ambassador role. Like he's just, you know, them them roles people just give out. He's an ambassador. He's really a part-time staff, but he's just an ambassador. He goes around and does things for the club. Obviously, based on the comments about external pressure, um, he doesn't want to create external pressure, which that leads me to believe discussions were held over something uh, over a role potentially a bit more prominent, a bit more hands-on. I won't say a say in the first team, but a bit more of a say in the first team of such. Um, I wouldn't mind Wenger returning back, but I don't think it'd be the wisest decision right now, to be fair. And it's all about the role, because you can't just create roles just for the sake of Arsene Wenger being Arsene Wenger, people. It just, it just wouldn't make sense, and it's not right. And it goes against his own logic. Um... Now, we're going off topic a bit. Well, that's Arsenal done. We'll probably pick up some Arsenal stuff. I've got my notes. But um, our neighbours, or in regards to, well, Watford and Arsenal are not neighbours, um, but uh, our home grounds are. I mean, our home training grounds are. They've sacked their manager. Obviously, they've brought back their own manager, Flores, and they've sacked Javi Garcia. And it's quite sad. It's the way, it's the, way the game goes. I mean, Watford have had a terrible run. They're in the bottom three in the Premier League. They've had a poor start to the league. I said this in my last podcast and video, it took me by surprise because Watford, what they finished 10th or 11th, I think it was 11th last season, um, they got FA Cup final, that's a good season, that, that's a good season, I feel it's it's harsh people, he should have, he's at least, at least 
should have been there's no law in football and at the end of the day it is what it is but he should have at least been given a bit more time to sort it around apparently he still retains the backing of the players who when they found out allegedly via whatsapp this is what the paper said they were quite angry and i feel it's sad man i feel he he, he done all right he's got them in his in his two seasons there he got what 11th and 11th and 14th he signed a, a contract extension last year i believe since 2012 he's the first watford manager to sign that and we all know watford's watford I wouldn't say they've got a revolving door, but they do have a revolving door, people. They do change their manager more often than not. And they've the fact that they got rid of Javi Javi, sorry, Javi Garcia so quickly and brought um and brought back their old manager in Flores, um, how long have they always had that one lined up, people, to be fair with you? Um you it it, it, it makes you it really does make you wonder, to be fair, man. It it sucks, man. I feel it I feel it for him, man. I really, really feel it for Javi Garcia, because there's no there's no loyalty in football. At the end of the day, if they feel he can't take them forward and they feel he's 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 stagnating and he, they're not able to advance, then cool. But I feel to sack a man early September, someone that got you the FA Cup final last season, yeah, he didn't win it. Someone that got you a top ten, top eleven finish. I can't remember specifically. It's it's sad, man. Hopefully he gets another role and he can do his own thing in in that in that regards, man. Because it it does it does suck people really and truly. Staying with Arsenal, I cannot say this name. But apparently, um, we've been looking at a player called Kivinka Kovaratskhelina. Yeah, apparently he play he plays for Ruben, and apparently Arsenal have watched him extensively with a view to making a move. Now again, people, Arsenal should be watching everybody. I should every club, but everyone physically possible. Having a scout in attendance does not necessarily mean you're going to buy someone. It's just building up intel, building up knowledge. Um, sometimes scouts are scout for um independent organisations as well. Sometimes people are just going to enjoy the match. So we need to be very careful. But apparently he's 18 years of age. He's a midfielder. And when we did go and watch him last um, last time, he only came off the bench in the 77th minute. Um, so he's someone we're looking at. And apparently we, we looked at Golovin and whatnot. It's nice to see we're exploring all possible regions, to be fair with you, because... Many players will be scouted and few will be signed. Like out of a hundred players you scout people, you probably have a list of ten potentially to sign, and from that you probably sign two, three. But that's the way this the scouting game goes, people. Um so it, it is what it is in in that regards. Um I don't think I've got any other things based on my Twitter notes to provide. Um what else was I gonna say? Um let's move on and People, first and foremost, before I talk about Alan Shearer and Michael Owen, I would like to talk about Roy Keane and Alex Ferguson. Now, it's something it's something of nothing. It's nothing new. We all know they have beef. But I'd explore you all to go and... I'm not finished it yet, people, but Roy Keane and Gary Neville, I don't know if the event was in Ireland, but they're speaking at a Cadbury's event. And I think it was a fantastic insight in regards to what I've listened to so far in that... Um, Roy Keane obviously spoke about Salix Ferguson, he spoke about when it was time to leave, he talked about problems with Kiros, he spoke about problems with today's footballers, he talked about how he went to extreme on a diet, vaguely touched on mental health of, of a player, um, had a bit of comedy moments in there, you know Roy Keane's always gold in, in, in that regard, uh, Gary never had some good talking points, um, they made some comments around the captaincy stuff and the differences with Roy Keane and, and someone like Eric Cantona who more leads by example, it, it's, quite a good, it's quite a good little listen on YouTube, so go and, go and click that people, but I can't not speak about this, and he said, let me get my notes up, he said, People talk about Ferguson's man's management. Nonsense. People said he always had the best interests of the club at heart. His brother was the chief scout for Manchester United for a long time. 
I'm surprised his wife was in, in the, involved in, in the staff somewhere. Darren, which is his son, people, was the manager at Preston North End and lost his job. He had a couple of young players on loan from Manchester United. Guess what happens the next day? They pulled out of Preston. Is that doing the best for United? Do me a favour. People talk about Ferguson's man management. Don't be kid on by all of it. I was at the club when Brian Robson left, when Steve Bruce left. Two brilliant service, servants for Manchester United. And I didn't like the way they were treated. Now, I'm not, I, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but the same way I love Arsene Wenger, I love Alex Ferguson, people. I'm not going to lie. Like, you lot know I'm a football purist. I think if you... You know what Sir Alex Ferguson has done in this game, people. I mean, there's certain people I would love to, uh, if I ever get the day to sit across the room from him and Arsene Wenger and spill their brains and, and suck up their knowledge and whatnot, it would be lovely. Um, so I'm not really going to comment. Now, of course, Sir Alex Ferguson had Manchester United's best interest in heart or he wouldn't have been able to keep going for so long. Of course, a bit of that, he's human. Like Arsene Wenger, it's going to tie into your own interest. Wenger didn't, to my knowledge, Wenger didn't have his brothers and whatnot on the, on the whatnot. But we'd all do that. I'd employ, for, I'd employ my brothers. I'd employ my, um, um, my son and whatnot. Of course, there's a bit of, is it nepotism or whatever the word is? Of course, there's that. And when the way Roy Keane's put that, of course, it doesn't necessarily sound like Roy Keane, I mean, like Alex Ferguson, is acting in the best interest. So it's a bit of both. Of course, he's going to help his family out and whatnot, people. Um, my pet peeve with Alex Ferguson, in fact, I'm not going to be upset about him doing it, is that I feel he personally could have left Manchester United in the last couple of years and could have done more to kind of fix up the squad, inject some real, real good players in there. Because there were some, he did start to try and think of the future. He got Zaha and whatnot. But I just feel he could have done more. But at the end of the day, it's not for him. Um... Moving on from that, people, moving back to uh, Michael Owen and Alan Shearer. As you know, Michael Owen's got a book coming out, and I think he's done a very good PR stunt. Not PR, but it's PR stunt, but very good PR in, in getting people talking and utilising social media because, I mean, I'm not buying Michael Owen's book. I'm going to torrent it, but some people are because um, of the controversy. Now, you've heard him speak about in relation to Liverpool wanting to get rid of Gerrard two years prior to him leaving. And he's also been beefing Shearer. Now, they were beefing on, on Twitter, people. And obviously, to, obviously, well, Michael Owen's a legend of Liverpool, a favoured player of Liverpool. Owen, um, Alan Shearer is nothing short of a Premier League and Newcastle legend. And he did his thing at Blackburn as well. Um, but he got, hit, he got at him as well, people. He's cleared the air, but it was interesting because I do know, we all know Alan Shearer was close to obviously joining Manchester United once upon a time. But Owen let it, let it, let it slip that essentially... He was close to joining Liverpool when Brian Robs when Robson left as well, people. So um it's an interesting one. It, it shows you I don't know how far loyalty really goes. They can't begrudge Alan Shearer for wanting to join Liverpool at the time. It would have been a better move, but who knows? Um carrying on with what actually been said, I think he's done a QA to clear the air and the question goes, I've got it written down. Have you spoken to Alan Shearer since the feud earlier this week? In which he's replied. No, sadly, me and Ian, me and Alan, sorry, were great mates for a long period of time. He was one of the main reasons I signed for Newcastle. It was only a year or two after I left Newcastle. I was about to pick up. The, I was about to pick up the phone to phone him, and I was speaking to a mutual friend, and he said, "Oh, I wouldn't call him. Why not?" I asked, and then the reasons started transcribing. So it was very strange and very sad in a way. But we live at different ends of the country, and not all is lost. Why did you fall out with Alan Shearer? Last game of the season away to Aston Villa, we needed to get something and I had been injured with a groin problem. I was coming back and I still had a week or two away from being fit 
bearing in mind I had a, I had a history of muscle injuries, they plagued my career. Um, before I carry on, people, it does. I do get the vibe that well, we already know Michael Owen truly, really, and truly did not want to play for Newcastle beyond financial rewards or having to find a new club. And obviously, it sounds like he doesn't want to. I can already, without reading all of it, it already sounds like there was little bickering between the two. It sounds like a friendship gone sour. But it seems like maybe we'll see in the next in the next couple of sentences. But it seemed like Owen wasn't prepared to put his body on the line for the cause for the club that Alan Shearer would literally die for people, really and truly. So maybe that's why Alan Shearer got bad blood. Or maybe there's something in their post-playing career they just don't like each other because we, we'll never know people. We'll never know. But carrying on, um, I knew my body better than anyone. To the day I... I'm, sorry, I knew my body better than anyone. To the day I knew if I, I was a day too early, it would re-tear or something would go wrong. I was quite clearly a week away from playing, but we needed to get something. Alan wanted me in the team and I said to him, I think if you start me, I'm going to break down after I sprint. If I were you, I'd put me on the bench and if you need a goal with 10 to 15 minutes to go, bring me on and I'll just try to stay around the goal. He took that as if I didn't want to play or that I was scared of getting injured because I was out of contract so it might affect my next club. That's the crux of it, crux of it. And it's sad it happened like that. So... Clearly, there was conflicting reports in regards to playing and whatnot, whether Owen was clearly down for the cause. But carrying on, in regards to the comments about you being unhappy despite being on 120,000, I wasn't unhappy. I loved Newcastle. I loved the city, the people, and I loved playing there. And sadly, when you say a sentence and when someone stops it halfway through, then you don't get to mention it in the context. It's very different. What I said was that I didn't enjoy the second half of my career as much as the first. I was a good young player at the top of my game, winning awards and trophies, but the second half of my career, injuries started catching up. If you're not as good if you're not as good as your job as you once were, inevitably you don't enjoy it as much. Which I mean you can't argue with him. That's like what can you say? I like I said, I ain't buying Michael Owen's book, but I'll definitely I'll definitely torrent it because it'll be a good read. And to be honest, I've been thinking about just in terms of an extension of my stuff, just reviewing stuff. Like, I know I watch football and I watch, obviously, the documentaries and all of these sort of things. But I always think to myself, should I diversify? So I might try to diversify people. A quick word on Arsenal's under-16s, and they defeated Chelsea at Hayland on, on Friday. And allegedly, from what I'm told, it was a good, very good game. Um, can't remember the right-back's name. I might do a vid, but we've got a good right-back within our academy. Our Amari Hutchinson, you can see on his Twitter account, very good, small, diminutive, technical-based player at, at Arsenal, which you've probably seen him on YouTube from about 14. Very good effort. Picks up the ball, drives past a couple of players and blasts it into the, fine, for, um, into the far corner. Top bins. Hopefully that was seen by Arsenal senior management at Hayland or whoever, and they can look at him. Because I personally feel Arsenal's under-16s, for Arsenal fans... There's a lot to be excited about, man. There's some good players. There's Amari Hutchinson. There's Kayon Edwards. There's Mark Emeboe. Um, there's Mon Luiz who's playing for the 18s. Um, what's that right back lad's name? Apologies, people. Let me find his name for you. And again, I don't. You don't know me. I don't sit here and say that. Um, I'm watching these players extensively, and I've got all of this knowledge and things like that, people. But um, I, I'm trying. Um, his name, the right back's name is Brooke Coffey Norton. He's decent. You've obviously got Flores, Marco Flores, signed from Ipswich, Mexican Youth International. You've got Pantino. I've liked what I've seen from Edu Gaspar's son in the 
in the vague sort of minutes I've seen, he seems a very passionate individual and whatnot in regards to challenges. Um, so there's him. Um, who else is there? Um, I just believe that I just I just believe we should be confident about them people. Uh, moving on, I'm going a bit off topic, but one player I'm looking at and I hopefully he gets more chances this season is Brian Gill of Seville. He can play on the right. He's probably better on the left. He is. He's not slow, but he's one of them. It's like Ojarabo. Like they're not Ojarabo, the winger at Sociedad. It's like they're they're quick, but it's not. You don't get what I mean in it. It's not blisteringly quick. It's not like a road runner winger sort of thing. They beat you with technical qualities and stuff. I think he's very graceful. He's got wonderful technique, and he's someone I'm. I've made a video about him, but he's someone I'm definitely looking at Arsenal to try and bring over and whatnot, people. Um, and I hope they we can conv convince him to sign for the club and whatnot. But moving on from that, people. You lot know Manchester City is a tough one to play for. Manchester City, for me, I'm not going to lie, people. I think I think if I had a son and they were 16 years of age, I'd want them to make it at any club that they're at. But I'd say it's a, you've got to look at it from a different point of view. If I was playing for Arsenal or any of these top six sides, specific to City, I'm going there from a young age, from 16 to 18. I'm just trying to benefit from the elite level of coaches, the elite playing squad, because you're fighting about two, three players that are all equally as good as you to play week in, week out. Use that to your advantage. By the time you get to 18, leave and go to a team where there's a pathway, people. Do you get Because there's not necessarily a pathway at City. Yes, you could say there's folding in the side, but just by looking at the players they bring in, it's almost impossible. I mean, City's recruitment is excellent, people, abroad and here. Domestically, there's not a player they don't know about. There's not a player that they're not far from signing. There's not a player they haven't got onto. You look at Jaden Sandro, um, Tyler Richards, and um, Rabbi Matondo. None of them made first team for for City, but they all were provided with an environment to improve themselves. And then they all left to go and play better football after joining from Fulham, Cardiff, and Watford, respectively. So they've you've seen what I'm saying, people. You join City 15-16, you take advantage of the better being at a Cat One club and things like that. And then you keep it moving and go elsewhere where you have more of a chance of making it. Do you get it, people? Um, but from a City point of view, that's they make their money, innit? Um, they've made their money. It's going to be tough, people, because I think City got some wonderful domestic talents. They've got, is it Rowan McDonald, Tommy Doyle, whose family used to play for City? Um, is, is it Bellis, um, Tyler Howard Bellis? I can never say his name. The centre-half, Felix Nemechia. Um, They've got Joe Hodge. They've got some very good players. They've got some good... Homegrown players that they've bought from elsewhere. West Ham's Josh Wilson S. Brand, 16-year-old left back. They've signed Morgan Rogers from West Bromwich Albion. Ben Knight from Ipswich. Um, and how many? They, 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 there was a 15, 14-year-old they signed from. They signed from Bolton. They signed. Uh, they signed someone from Millwall as well. So these, to be honest, and they're only paying a couple of k, sometimes a million, but a couple of k for these players now. For the for, let's be honest, it's 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 good for all parties. Yes, you could say you stay at Millwall, you stay at Fulham, you stay at these clubs, you have more of a chance of making it, and of course you do. But you've got to look at football. I'm not saying City do this, but the potential of a big signing on fee, which is a couple hundred thousand, which can potentially help your family. Your family could be presented with jobs and 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 living arrangements. People, obviously, I've just spoken about the pathway and developing and stuff. And if you don't end up making it there, you could probably make it somewhere else. And for City, it's not a risk because yeah. Fulham, not Fulham, Bolton and Millwall could be absolutely vexed that someone's taking their players for 100k or whatever and exploited the compensation fee system. Um, that that money will go into them. But for City, that's nothing. If he doesn't make it there, then it's cool. It's 100,000. It's not like they spent 70 million on a player where there'd be more question marks. So it is tough, people. Um, 
making it at City is, is tough. And one player, I, I hope he makes it there, but Claudio Gomez, I, I enjoyed watching him at PSG in France's youth level. He's gone on loan to PSV's second division side now after leaving PSG to go to Man City, which you would say is a bit of a sideways step. In fact, you could probably argue PSG are better with young players than City because you can pinpoint academy-based players at, um, within PSG's first team. You can look at Kimbembe, you can look at... Um, as you say, you got just 17-year-old started on the weekend. You obviously got Dagbar. There's a couple of players, and there's been some that have obviously been sold. They had Ariola at a point. Um, City, how many domestic homegrown players are regular players or anything close to that? Would you say Phil Foden is a rotation option, or would you say he's a backup as away from his ability? My heart is saying he's a rotation option. My heart, my brain is telling me he's a backup. People making it at City is tough. If you're going to City, I don't feel players are going to City, even Arsenal now. You're not going to these clubs to make it there. You're going to develop. Look at Castillo, who left Ajax to go sit, to go Chelsea, and he's back there now. Him and his dad will give an interview saying that that's what they're on. And even if you look at young Latibode, um, I cannot say his name, the centre-half at City, um, I really like his mentality. He's not the, And I think, first and foremost, he shows the culture problem with England because I've seen people say he's not tall enough to be a centre-half. When statistically, if you go to St, I haven't been, but if you go to St George's Park, or, um, England's training ground, Latibode's name is very high for jumping records. People, in fact, he smashed a couple of them. So he, his height's almost irrelevant. He's 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 good in the air for someone who's not necessarily tall. He's good at ball playing. For me, one thing that I think will will stand him in good stead, he's got an elite mentality. He's bounced back from two more or less two serious injuries. Um, he's very he's 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 got the captain mentality. He doesn't let things phase him. He does in good moments. He doesn't get too excited. In bad moments, he don't get his head down. And that's going to help you as a professional footballer, let alone a young player. He's gone out on loan to FC Twente to play football. Of course, even if he does play football, it will be difficult for him to make it there. But he wants to seize his opportunity. And what he's actually said is, I feel I feel like it's time where I just need to be playing. It can be very frustrate, frustrating because I believe I've got the ability. And I know if I was if I'm given a chance, I won't let it go. I want to be the best I can be. And to do that, I have to be playing first team football. When you're injured, your name can sometimes be swept under the rug a bit and I need to be out there playing men's football. I want to go into battle. I've always wanted the chance to play abroad at some stage and I feel like this is going to be a big season for me and I just need that opportunity to prove myself. Nothing will stop me if a pathway is presented at City as a result. I will think about it. And another young, see, this is what I'm saying, people. He wants to seize his future, whether it's at City or elsewhere. You look at City as well, they've got Brunombe, who's a good technical-based footballer, but I think he can show more. Um... Eric Garcia, who's a good centre-half, and I think he might be one to make it at City. City have got a lot of players, people. Homegrown, sourced from abroad, um, players bought from rival clubs, homegrown. Their scouting team is elite, people. Um, obviously, there's another debate to be had, but I think players are genuinely looking at it from 15 years of age and saying, you know what, the sort of player I can be in terms of coaching by going to see at 18 will put me in, in, in good stead elsewhere, people. Because City are going to keep signing these players. And you see many players leaving City. You, 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 um, is it Divisham went went to Holland and went to Germany? Diaz, which don't make sense, went to Madrid and he's not playing. Um, a player left to go Celtic. Players are running down contracts. You see a couple of it, people. And I think City have, City have some great players that can progress through that academy. Especially for me, I really like Tommy Doyle, but it'll be tough to break through as a centre mid. Um, they've got some real good players. I think Joe Hodge, he's 16. He's going to have a future as well because of his mentality. Josh Wilson Espran is a left back on everybody's lips from West Ham and he's gone to City now. I don't know for the compensation fee and whatever, but it, it, it is what it is in that regards, people. Um, it is it is what it is. 
Um, so yeah, moving on and rather some you don't know me, I'm never gonna shy away from speaking about racism, people. Um, I think we need to I think we need to speak on this. And he said, apologies, people, I was reading it. Marvin Robertson, former Premier League footballer who now works at the FA's regu regu Regulatory Commission, um, has had a lot to say, people, in regards to how we can help players and whatnot. And I'm paraphrasing a bit because he spoke about several different contexts, especially like even the troubles of BAME players getting to football, getting to get into academies because I've seen it myself people will say players have an attitude problem they're always late to training but the real reason they're late is because the team they've been scouted for is they, is in South London they live in North London they have to leave school go home and get their stuff and get on the trains or get on the trains and go and get there because they're making their own way there they're obviously going to be a bit late or they have to do whatever sort of transport their mum has to do whatever transport to get there versus the kid whose mum's mum and dad are business owners life or they're just born into money football is just seen as a game for them they'll always turn up on time and whatnot it's, there's more than meets the eye I think this is why football football is not a game for especially the young kids coming from inner city London because we're not playing by the same rules and that's why I love seeing these inner city London kids make it we're not playing by the same rules football is a game and should always be in, enjoyed but I like to see players especially coming from where I'm coming from get the hell out of there because what would they be doing if not what would what could happen to them? Not even if they were necessarily going down the wrong path, but we all know wrong place, wrong time can do a lot of things. Making it as a footballer, for first and foremost, makes that struggle and sacrifice worth it. Because there's plenty of kids that are that are being late to training because they're having to take two, three, four trains um, by themselves and are not going to make it. So first and foremost, it rewards their hard work enables them to put on for their family because who doesn't want that who doesn't want to be able to buy their mum and dad a house or do nice things or lift themselves out of poverty and whatnot I, I salute it people I really salute it man you look at even Zlatan Ibrahimovic in Sweden he said he had to ride bike to training and that and this is why football's not a joke for us because more time our families don't have the money to really support this football thing if, if they have the money they don't necessarily have the time because there's several if not several siblings your mum or dad they have to work as well so you have to take your way to football all of these things make it tougher it's not a game people it's really not a game but let me be honest especially for these young black players i'm not gonna it's not a game people it's not a game it's not a game because i see it i see it. all academies are going what i see it it's not a game and that's why when people say these young black players they're never smiling they've got an attitude problem it's not it's because this thing is not a game this is not a game this is life and death for, for some people do you get it people it's not a game but moving on he said if a white player is quiet it's quiet He's the consummate professional, not consummate professional. I know I can't read people, but you know that word. If a black player is quiet, he's a loner who doesn't care enough. If a white player is outspoken, he's passionate. If a black player is outspoken, he's disruptive. You see it with Raheem Sterling if he shows any com confidence. The perceptions are very different. And that is very true. That's in life, people. Obviously, people call Conor McGregor an idiot and things like that and recognise he's an idiot. But compare Conor McGregor to Mayweather or people like that. The one worse thing than just being black, especially in this in, in, in football in the media world, is being black and knowing that you're black and knowing you've got money. Look at Muhammad Ali, one of the most humblest people in the world. You go and speak to people old enough to have met him, especially when he came to London, they all say how down to earth he was, how we did all of these things for him, how we treated him as a brother and all of these things. But what would they focus on? The fact that Muhammad Ali was very confident because he knew he had to be. He was confident, young, black and confident. So that's what they called him. Arrogance, didn't know what he wanted to do. They want you to... Black players are the only ones expected to have money and not spend a penny of them. They just want you to be very thankful and just shut up, yes sir, sort of thing. Which is not on. Moving on. Let me find the other bit. 
You either have to no. I think that's I think that's it, Pete. I think I think that's it. I think I think that's it. But there's some. This is when Mick Antonio's also spoken on racism as well. I think that was. I think that's all I've got from Marvin Robertson, people, which was a good soundbite. Clearly, when I did these notes, I was just looking for soundbites. But um, company has said something as well. He said, "You're dealing with a group of people." He to put it into to put it into terms, just the context of the statement. Um, company believes the FA, FIFA. UEFA, any governing bodies, they're just simply not doing enough to, to help individuals, which is true, people. Um, he said, you're dealing with a group of people and decision makers who are trying to explain to Romeo how he should be feeling and what he should think about this, when actually we have no decision makers who are remotely in touch with what he's experiencing. So what he gets, what he's getting by that is clearly we need more Bay more black or marginalized groups in regards to positions of power, which is true, people, because they'd immediately be able to sum up how it felt. Which obviously, I'm not saying I'm not saying you need to be a, a race or a particular group of people to stand up and be counted, which a lot of people from all walks of life do. But you do have to believe, and I, I believe it myself. If if a lot of these FA chairmen and whatnot were directly affected by it or could put themselves in the shoes of people that have been oppressed and been treated like this, they would fix it, people, really and truly. It's, the same, it's completely different, but it's the same way with black coaches. People have every excuse after, under the sun for black coaches or the lack of them. Oh, they're not good enough. Okay, they're obviously going to believe black managers or coaches that are simply part of my language. Shit, that's going to happen. You've got Sir Alex Ferguson's, you've got Glenn Roders. The talent of white managers is, is ridiculously big. But nobody says, because this manager messes up, oh, then none of them are good. So why are we playing these silly rules, people? It's silly. It's, it's really silly. Um, it's, 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 really, it's really silly. It's really, really silly. Moving on, McAntonio has said something. He said, you either have to find clubs ridiculous money or take away points because that affects the fans. He said, I always, I always found that... Wait, he said, when the when money gets taken from the club, the fans don't really care. If you deduct points, it has a real impact, which is true, people. And I really like what I've seen by him. He said, he said this as well. He said, I sh I shouldn't really say this in case I have a play for them, but Millwall got fined ten thousand for racist chanting last season. Leeds got fined thirty for having a member of staff watching Derby training from a public path. So Snodgrass got fined twenty five million for shouting at a drug testing official. How does that work? Is racism lowered down, and it's cool, and it's true, people. You get away with racism again because it's not these these lots issues, people, really and truly. And he spoke about how the first time he was called, he was um, he actually I haven't got the, the notes, but in in the report that I've taken this from, he actually spoke about the first time he was racially abused, and in a bet, and he's and he's also said, and he's also said, so if you go. If you go back to if you go back to who is he now expecting a decision from the institutions, that's where the problem lies. Real racism lies in the fact that none of these in institutions have representatives that can actually understand. Well, this is companies now, people. Apologies that can actually understand what Romeo is going through. That's the real issue. On the boards at UEFA and in England and in Italy and most places, there's a problem with diversity in places of power and in boardrooms. If you don't have that diversity then you can't have the right decision in terms of sanctions. It's as simple as that. So I don't, I must have been in a rush in my lunch break because I haven't put things in the right place. So that little bit about, well, the bit about racism further, um, is racism lower down was Antonio's. The bit I've just read was from company. But back to Antonio, in a rather good light, people, rather better that light now, it shows you why you should never give up. Because, I mean, you look at Mings and Antonio, um, Antonio had to come up from Severy Pro. Mings was released. He lived in a homeless shelter. He worked as a mortgage advisor. Both were close to, to giving up. 
And Antonio's been capped by England and Mings has been called into the England squad. So it shows if you never give up, things can happen. And it shows sometimes you might have to do something else while working on your other dream. Because he's now, obviously, I'm sure he didn't want to be a mortgage advisor and he wanted to be a footballer. But at some point he had to balance the two. Um, do you get it, people? And now he's gone on to become a Premier League footballer. So why you should, ne you should never, pardon me, is why you should never ever give up. And he said... I always said to myself that I'd be a, I'd be a professional, but all my friends had money and I had nothing. I was making 150 a week playing in old F50s, F30s from JD. I was ready to pack it in, but my brother knew how much I'd given for given up for football. He said he'd buy me a new pair of boots if I carried on. I've never had a real pair of boots in my life. He bought me a pair of Total 90s, the one Rooney used to wear, and within three months I got signed for Reading. You learn to form that never say die attitude to keep going. In the lower leagues, it can be very easy to say, I'm happy to have finally got where I am, but you have to aspire to be more. I always wanted to be better. Some people like that, some people like that, some people don't. Some call it arrogance, some call it confidence, but you've always got to believe in yourself and have that resilience. And I've actually met Mikel Antonio, and I can say of all the footballers I've met, him and Gareth Bell are two of the most down-to-earth characters. In fact, all of them have been down-to-earth. I'd say Javinho was the most conf confident around everybody. Um, but Bale, Bale and, and, and Antonio were very humble. Bale was almost shy and I was thinking, you're Bale playing for Spurs. Why are you shy to, yeah, you're looking at the floor in that. And Antonio's just ridiculous. Like, he's a good guy, man. Like, the event I met him at, he was giving us Arsenal fans banter. I was, I asked him, I was like, why are you bantering us on Twitter? He's like, you look, I need to hack it. He was, he was ribbing us back a bit. But he's a good, he's good people, man. I like, I like Mick Antonio. I've got a signed West Ham shirt from him in, in, in my wardrobe. So, Yeah. In rather nasty, nasty notes, people. Um, Christopher Metzelder has had to step down from president role at his at his boyhood club T T U S Holton um, after he was questioned by police as part of an in investigation into the distribution of child pornography. The club said in a statement, "Boy, apparently he sent it to a female recipient in Hamburg with pictures of child porn pornographic content through WhatsApp." If he has done that, we've got to be very careful because he's not been convicted. But he have, if he has done that, throw the book at him. And that's absolutely disgusting, especially in a role he has. So that's the, the less said about that, the better. I'm not going to waste time harping on about just quite simply disgusting sort of things like that. Um, off topic, but Arsenal's Emil Smith-Rowe and Balogun have been nominated for the Premier League 2 Player of the Month, as has Manchester United's James Garner. And I think James Garner has a strong case of winning that personally, people. Um... But yeah, I don't think I've got anything more to add. We've spoken about Arsenal, we've touched on some general points and I've also spoken in relation to racism. There's really not been much of things to talk about to make of it, but yeah, man, I'm going to get out of here. People deluded, stay safe. Thank you for watching each and every time. Thank you for listening, better yet. Um, check out my YouTube for other content um, and thank you very much for just rocking with me however frequently or however much you do. It means a lot. DG, I'm out. People deluded, I'm back again. Another day, another podcast. Really and truly, I'm probably forcing it. It's the international break. There's really nothing to talk about, but you know me. I can't stay away from making content. And people, it's appreciated in regardless of whatever medium you watch my, my stuff on, whether it's my YouTube channel, where it's the primary source of my content, this new venture in regards to the podcast and everything else, man, and just supporting me in general. People, please don't think I'm doing lip service or just saying these things for the sake of saying them. I really appreciate all of it, people. So without further ado, we might as well crack on now. 
I found it kind of funny. It's, it's not funny, really, and truly. You shouldn't laugh at things like this, people. It really, it really isn't. But apparently, Danny Drinkwater, his latest injury, we all heard that it was it was a result of off-field incidences. But it's actually now come out he's got into a physical altercation with a player, either a player or former player for Scunthorpe United. Long story short, he tried to talk or move, as we call it, Raumeier. He tried to move to someone else's girl, tried to chat her up. Apparently he was drunk, and I quote, he was carrying on like an idiot, but I quote, he said something like, mate, I don't care, she's going on with me. And apparently he got, more or less, he got rushed, he got he got kicked up a bit, people were screaming, break his legs. And it's not funny at all, but you just shouldn't be behaving like that, especially to a man's wife. And for Danny Drinkwater, it's been a mad fall from grace since he was part of the Leicester team that won the league. He's been capped by England, forgive me if I'm wrong, no chance of that. He went to Chelsea. Obviously, I don't begrudge him for leaving Leicester, for joining Chelsea, excluding that season. It's a good move. But you knew he wasn't going to play, and he barely played. I can't tell you a game he actually played. I can't. I'm sure most Chelsea fans have forgotten he's played for them. He's now at Burnley and suffering from injury problems, and it's just going bad to worse. Like I think Danny Drinkwater should have followed his name and actually drank water that day, and he wouldn't have got his, his face kicked in and whatnot. But you live and you live and you learn. Um, apparently he was thrown out of the nightclub as well and apparently he was told multiple times to stop talking to the guy's girl and he just didn't want to listen so he got dealt with so moving on pardon me moving moving on from that people um i'm sure you've actually all see you've all you've all heard um what was i gonna say um forgot what i forgot the point i was gonna make to be honest so yeah that's it um from an arsenal perspective i'm sure you've all seen reese nelson and eddie and ketia Three goals between them in their latest game for England's under-21s against Turkey. Now, Reese Nelson didn't have the best of games, um, but he grew in confidence as the game went on. And I'm happy he scored because he does look like a confidence player a lot at times. And obviously, there's no reason for him not to have any confidence. I mean, he stayed he stayed at the club. Um, he's staying at Arsenal in terms of his club future. The manager started him in two Premier League games. Yes, he hasn't played against Liverpool and Spurs, but he started them previous two games. He's been talked up highly. You've seen, obviously, his future just doesn't necessarily directly correlate, but you've seen Mkhitaryan um, and Iwobi leave, two players that at times last season quite frequently were played on the flanks. So it's a show of faith by Unai Emery. But he does look like someone that does need a bit of encouragement. He does look like a player at times... He's very hard on himself, and that's a positive because it will demand the best of you, but it can be a negative. So I'm happy he scored for England's under-21s, to be fair, just to give him that sort of confidence. He played. I don't think he didn't complete the whole game, but um, Eddie and Ketia played 90 minutes, forgive me if I can't remember, and he scored two goals. Anything he touches is scoring two goals, and hopefully you just want to see him keep. You just want to see him keep it up. To be honest with you, people, you want to see him get some starts at Leeds and just mean um, continue as he as he means to end because he started off his club and definitely international season this 2019-20 campaign in fantastic fashion. So big up to the both of our young G's. Obviously Tyrese John Jules, Miguel Aziz, um, Saka. They've all been called up respectively for England's youth sides. As has young. Um, 16-year-old schoolboy Mon Louise, our former player um, Yunus Moussa has been called up to England's under 18. So it's nice to see the Arsenal contingent contingent sorry is still going strong. People, that brings me back to my next thing relating to Arsenal. I don't want to play devil's advocate, people, but I was having this debate yesterday in, in the bar with a mate. Yeah, obviously the two don't correlate, but I'm pretty sure you'd all agree. No matter who plays in Arsenal's defence, whether it's a back three, or a back four, or whatever, whether it's Socrates and Holding or Socrates and Louise or Chambers and this guy and that guy and this guy, Maitland now is at right or left back at times, and just about any sort of mix and match. 
It might not be perfect, people, but you still see the same sort of core principle of playing out from the back. Centre-halves are going to receive the ball. Do you get what I'm saying? We're still showing willingness to play out from the back. And for all our question marks in terms of how Arsenal defend and Arsenal's defenders, playing out from the back, obviously there's times, there's time, there's a debate to be had over when to do it and when not to do it. But I wouldn't say playing out from the back in the grand scheme of things is necessarily an issue or something that most fans would press to want to improve versus other stuff. So my question is this, people, if if Unai Emery, and I'm not critiquing him, if Unai Emery, since the moment he's come into the club, has shown a willingness to play out from the back and he's and he quickly got them playing like that, and like I just said, it doesn't matter who is in defence, people, you still see some sort, obviously, the better players playing in defence, just on top of being better defenders and the better ball players, you are going to see an increase in quality in terms of ball playing, clearly, people. Obviously, Matip, Matip isn't the worst of defenders on with the ball at his feet. Um, but if it was him and Joe Gomez, they'd be okay. But in terms of ball playing, you'd clearly see, uh, on top of Van Dijk just being a better player, you would see a, a, a clear increase in, 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 in terms of what he's doing on the ball. Am I, am I telling lies, people? But the core principles would still obviously be the same. So if we've managed to implement that, yeah, take the same principle and logic. How comes we don't look like any better in defence? Again, he's got a long way to go before he can improve our defence. He's been given a shorthand. This isn't a criticism of him, right? It's just... Like I said, when we're, it doesn't matter who's playing from the back, playing in the in the back four, three, five, whatever you want to call it. There still is a base level of playing out from the back. So why is there not a base level of defending, of being proactive, of following runners, regardless of who's in the team? The reason why I say this is because clearly we work on playing out from the back and it's been ingrained in all players. Why is defending not necessarily ingrained in all players like that? Again, the club are clearly working on it and whatnot, but I just think it's funny because people, myself included, will say, oh, Holding's injured, Turney's injured, Emery hasn't had this and that. And it's true, people. I'm not saying he must do mad bits with, 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 a, with a weakened team or specifically a weakened defence. But how comes there's no base level of defending? Even with our first choice defence, is there a base level of, of defence? Um, of, of being proactive or following runners. You see what I'm saying, people? Because it's there. It, regardless of who plays in that defence, fullbacks are pulling out, centre-halves are coming in, Xhaka's dropped... Xhaka's irrelevant, actually, to this argument, but Xhaka's dropping in to receive the ball of the centre-halves. Leno's still looking for them. If Martinez ever plays, he'll still do the same. So there's a principle there, but what I don't see the same switched-on nature in relation to defending. That's just me playing devil's advocate. I know, in reality, Emre's been given a shorthand. There's been injuries. I think, for first and foremost... He's got to look at how these players think in regards to defending. He's got to change their thinking before he can even talk about tactics because we have to revamp how we actually, as a club and as an individual man-to-man in the team, how we approach defending. Because as you lot know, I'm focusing on the defence, but the defence isn't just down to defending. At times, there's been crazy individual errors from members of the team all over the field. At times, clearly our defence, specific individuals, not to name drop them, <coughs> Mustafi, even though he's not playing, you've seen errors. Louise, you saw Louise's mistakes. You saw mistakes against Spurs. These are all isolated incidences. But if we go through almost every goal we've conceded over this start to this season and last, and even before that, we can find different players um, to hold accountable for different mistakes. So I'm not getting at that. I'm just saying we've got. I think we've got to change our thinking. And Emery's been given a shorthand in, in that regard. So the first thing would be changing our thinking way before we talk about tactics. Like you lot, I'm keen to see... But Turney come back, Bellerin come back, and I I want to play holding. Holding's not perfect. I think fans need to be careful in that. Obviously, we want these players to play, but it's only Arsenal fans that do this thing where 
or fans in general, when it's always the player that's not playing that's needed the most, and you just expect one player to come and be the messiah. Holding is still a young, naive at times defender. He's not. He's going to play better than some other players, of course, but he's still going to make mistakes. It's not a prime Tony Adams coming into our defence to fix it. Bellerin, there's question marks over his game. Clearly, we need our first choice right back, but he's not going to fix anything. I think Kieran Turney is going to be a great signing for us, but at the end of the day, he hasn't kicked the ball and he's still carrying a knock. We need to be careful. I said this even by my own logic. I wanted Saliba to stay this season, but I support the loan because, again, we're dying and crying as fans to have a, a competent defence. If Saliba comes in because of the potential, his physical attributes, his technical qualities, people will forget he's an 18, 19-year-old and expect him to fix all mistakes when reality is... Holding and, and Saliba specifically, they're going to make a lot more... Well, Saliba's not played for the team, but they're going to make a lot more mistakes, people. We need to. Holding isn't perfect. Holding isn't going to be perfect for another two, three years. He's still going to make mistakes. He's going to have great games. He's going to have naive games. The same is going to happen, not just in not just them, but the whole squad. You look at the Premier League, we've got one of the youngest squads. I think our average age is 24, 25. On one hand... Arsenal fans, we know this project stuff. We've been here before where there's been a group of young players. We talk about the future, bringing in players to supplement them and seeing in the next two, three years we, where we can go. We obviously had the homegrown project I described of 2012, 2012. The last project I think would be, you know, when Santi came in, then Ozil, then Alexis. And then we looked like we had, I won't say complete squad, but it looked like the banner, the banner stuff was over and we're turning some sort of new leaf and we're moving to different levels. And there was a point, if we had a better striker, maybe we would have won a league. Of course, that's all ifs and buts and maybes. We can deal with the facts, which, which, which we didn't. But our average squad age is 25. With that being said, there's potential there to build to the future, for Emre to stay and build something, for the club to build something, um, for players to really mature and understand the way of thinking. Or top, from a business perspective, the players that... It is football. Players will be sold. Players want to leave and do other things. Average squad age of 25 shows me... Apologies if you can hear the helicopter people, windows open. That, that shows me that there's resale value between the team. Because you look at, who would you, you'd say, excluding the obvious ones, like Aubameyang, regardless of his age, could probably go for decent money. Lacazette, the same. But you look at it at any moment. Um, apologies, people. I should really shut this window. Give me a sec. Apologies for apologies for that, people. I really needed to shut that. It's unprofessional of me. But well, like I was saying... Um, in a couple of, even now, Gwendozi, I think Gwendozi bring you about 20, 20 to 40 million now. But in the future, you're looking at that, surely that's a 30, 40 plus million pound player. Terrera the same. Joe Willock, let's just, because we don't know how good he is. Um, he's been very good and he's, he's surprised and I really love Joe Willock. But you'd think minimum 20 million. Maitland now is 15 to 20 at this moment in time. And these can all increase. How much could Nelson, Emil, Tyrese, John Jules, Saka, all of these sort of players within the academy, how much can they be generated for? Because not everyone's going to make it here, people. Not just these players, but players that are brought in as well. Um, they're not going to make it here. So if they can be sold for profit and whatnot, then it'd be good. But the flip side of that is, and the window's open again. That's what I get for not closing it properly. Apologies again, people. Very unprofessional. But the flip side of that is, you have to be prepared for our players to make mistakes. Like, Gwendozi's played enough times to want to, to need to learn that I can be better defensively and I can do several other things. But it's not easy. They're not going to improve overnight. So I think fans have to 
accept these, we're going to make individual errors and mistakes. Ironically, I say that if you look at the mistakes we've made so far this season, it hasn't come from these young players. It's come from Socrates, it's come from Leno, it's come from Xhaka, it's come from David Luiz. Do you get it, people? Four, um, four or five, however many names I said, experienced players, players you'd expect to guide these young players, to mould these young players, to not hold their hand because they're not babies, but guide them through these tough periods. Really and truly, as much as I want to see them, I think these young players, they're in a period of self learning in that Emre can only tell them so much I don't necessarily think there's leaders to help them on the side so they're learning from self-learning they're learning how to carry a team themselves they're learning how to put up with pressure themselves they're learning the street smart and the intricate things that go into being a professional footballer themselves people so I think we've got to be a bit patient people I don't expect Arsenal to do anything anytime soon in terms of winning major trophies I say that of course I'm an Arsenal fan and I would like to see that sort of stuff people but it is what it is Moving on from that, and it did scare me. I've seen some reports saying Nicolas Pepe is injured and some saying he's not injured. He just wants to go back to Arsenal and he's, he's, he's been in, it's been liaised in conjunction with Arsenal, the Ivory Coast FA and whatnot, that he can return to Arsenal to better prepare himself for the Premier League because obviously he didn't have the best of pre-seasons. He didn't have any pre-season because he had a long season with Lille. Then he went to the African Cup of Nations in which he didn't have the best of tournaments. Was it fatigue? Was it burnout? Was it just poor form? Who knows, people? Did he need to be mentally recharged? Because, like I said, people, um, we'll never know when this Arsenal transfer actually was coming into play. But if you look at it, he's had a tough season at Lille. There was however many clubs after him. He's had the African Cup of Nations. The mental fatigue that comes with making a transfer and having to be quiet and getting these things done, maybe these all affected him over the summer and he just needs a, hand, a sort of handbrake. I mean, it's someone needs to put the handbrake on, on and, and just release him somewhat. Um, but I'm happy to hear that from Pepe. For me, Pepe, I can't believe some Arsenal fans. Some Arsenal fans make me sick, to be fair, and they're spoiled. Like, I'm not saying you can't. I'm say, away from positive criticism and or constructive criticism better yet. I'm not saying that. That's a, that's something we can have. But I'm seeing people, no disrespect to these players, but Arsenal fans over the last few years have seen their attacking options as Giroud. Yeah, Giroud, Sonogo. No disrespect because I like Iwobi, but he's not prolific. Iwobi, Mkhitaryan, Theo Walcott, bog standard players, people. And I can't understand that. You've seen these things and then you see people getting at Lacazette and Giroud. I mean, Lacazette and Aubameyang at times. Because I'm sure Arsenal fans and fans in general have seen people saying, oh, Lacazette's not fast, he's not this, neglecting his other strengths. People saying, Aubameyang, don't do this, he don't do that. Neglecting his other strengths. People get at Reese Nelson and Pepe and say they're this, they're that. Of course, Reese Nelson is a young player. He's going to frustrate. You don't know what you're going to get from him. But for me personally, one... I'd rather pursue with someone like Reese Nelson that's going to have good games and bad games and frustrate because there's ability there. Away from ability and being a young player, even even if he wasn't to improve, which I want him to, even if he would, same goes for Pepe, even if they weren't in, to improve, they are two attacking options we didn't have last season and they're two better attacking options than we had last season. Both of them are better wide options than we can deploy in our squad currently and could have deployed last season. I, I say that, the only one that you could probably find is forcing Aubameyang out wide and we all know how that one goes. It does a job for the team, but it takes away our threat attackingly, like you saw against Spurs. He had a good game and he obviously scored, but the minute you saw him go in the middle, about, no, not about me, Gwendozi found him. He put a shift in down the flanks, but from a Spurs perspective, 
one of the top goal scorers last season in the league, one of Arsenal's most potent strikers that they've had in recent years, you're not going to mind him in them positions there, are you people? So that's a debate to be had in itself. But I can't understand it because even if these players frustrate, they're much better than what we had. Pepe is going to be a hit in this Premier League. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to score 20 goals, 20 assists. What I feel always going to be like Mo Salah and Mane and things, I hope he is. I hope he is. I think he can be our new Alexis Sanchez in that someone that excites the play, the fans and whatnot um, and things like that. I like what I see from him. He's on taking his man on. He can take his man on. He strikes fear into play. Even though they Liverpool beat us, Van Dijk didn't want to tackle him. A player like that is going to get us some goals, some assists, some penalties and things like that. Of course, his finishing needs to improve. But the, the early building blocks, I feel, are there. Um, I was really trying to focus on Pepe, but Nelson, the same. I feel both of them are two options we didn't have last season. Two greater wide options than we had last season. I feel both of them are great options to have in the squad to rotate and do whatever you know Emre wants to do specifically with them. I think Pepe is going to be a success, and it's nice to see that he's doing this. I feel, I mean, um, what I mean by that is that he's returning back um, to work on it. I think you've seen many players. Sane was cast off after six months people. I think we've got to wait on Pepe. I think Pepe probably wants to bulk up a bit and he probably wants to adapt because it is more than just being the, 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 the pace of the league and stuff. It is a culture shock people. It's, it's, I, I do think we get a bit of ahead of ourselves in the Premier League when we say it's end-to-end, -end, it's never action because there's games there that, that simply doesn't happen. But you all know in the Premier League, it's not so much necessarily about technical ability and things. Clearly it is, or City wouldn't be in the top of the league. Clearly it is. But more often than not, it's about grit, determination and heart, especially when you play for these top six teams, especially when you play for Arsenal, especially when you play for Arsenal away from home. Everybody wants to fancy us at the top six. Everyone thinks they can beat us in the top six. Everybody, obviously, Emre's come in and certain things have changed, but everyone's still probably got this perception that they're soft. They can get, you can get under their skin. Slowly but surely, we've got to change that sort of thing. So it's nice to see that from Pepe people. Moving on from Pepe, um, Arsene Wenger told Ben Sports that apparently negotiations or discussions, better yet, took place with Arsenal officials over having a role at the club. However, he felt it's a bit too early to return home as he wants Emre and his staff to do their work freely without external pressure. Now, I can't speak for anyone, but based on the article I read, it didn't specify Emre, um, Emre Wenger's position. It can't be a director of football because we've already got people within them thingies. Um, so, like Arsene Wenger once said in relation to Thierry Henry and all these people, we just because you're a former personnel doesn't mean we can create artificial roles. You like know me, I'm a big Arsene Wenger fan. Obviously, he needed to step down and whatnot, but I'm a big Arsene Wenger fan. I feel if you love Arsenal, you love Arsene Wenger, regardless of his shortcomings. And again, he's not he's not immune from constructive criticism. We all know. His greatest strength and ultimately his greatest weakness was was being loyal to players that simply weren't good enough. And obviously the game the game somewhat left him, to, to be honest, people. But if you love football, you love Arsene Wenger, you love what he's brought to the league. And obviously he's in that hallmark of great managers. But despite all of that, there's no reason for him to come back to the club despite, despite that. Because the first thing I see is that Wenger is quite opinionated. I won't say Wenger had the club in his own image, but since... Him and him and Sir Alex Ferguson, you all know that they were more than just managers. They were accountants at times and things like that. And Wenger was that. So obviously you want conflict. Do you do you not think Edu, Josh Cronkay, and the rest of them agree on everything? They were they they 
highly educated individuals in regardless in, in in regards to what fields they've come in they're strongly opinionated it's all about collaboration there's going to be heated discussions and things so i'm not speaking about that because if they were all singing from the hymn sheet same hymn sheet we would not be doing what we're doing currently as a club in terms of the positive window and it might be the same previous regime but at the same time too many chefs spoil the pot. If we bring, if we invent an artificial position, let's just assume it's not direct to a football, but something of a similar standing, it kind of dilutes other jobs and it makes them harder. And you need to remember as well, one benefit with Raul Sanye and the people that, and Emre and everybody that's come into the club is these lot are not emotionally attached to Arsenal people. Like they, they're fully not emotionally attached. So sometimes that can be a bad thing, but it can be a good thing because they're looking at decisions, whether it's letting players go or bringing players in, what's the best for the club? Obviously, because Wenger was here for so long, he had a hard time differentiating, differentiating what is necessarily good for the club and what's good for himself. Do you get it, people? Whether that was bringing in players, selling players, stepping down or whatever. So if it's one of them roles, it's probably not the best thing to do. Although, obviously, regardless of what people say, let's be honest, people, Wenger has that. You look, Real football fans know, yeah, regardless of it, yeah. If Wenger sits you down in a room, he can he can potentially persuade anyone to do almost anything apart from Buki stuff. We all know the dangled carrot of Arsene Wenger talking to you about joining a team and whatnot could help. So imagine like if we are neck and neck with a club for the next for, for the next big French star, um, Raul Sanye's done his job, Hosfame's done his job, Edu's done his job, all these backroom staff have done their jobs and it's us neck and neck with a with a team. If we had Wenger in a certain sort of role where he can go and be that sort of sweetener, as you saw with him taking Aaron Ramsey off United and things like that, um, could that help us? Um, it could also just be an ambassador ambassador role, like he's just, you know, them them roles people just give out, he's an ambassador, he's really a part-time staff, but he's just an ambassador, he goes around and does things for the club. Obviously, based on the comments about external pressure, um, he doesn't want to create external pressure, which that leads me to believe discussions were held over something uh, over a role potentially a bit more prominent, a bit more hands-on. I won't say a say in the first team, but a bit more of a say in the first team of such. Um, I wouldn't mind Wenger returning back, but I don't think it'd be the wisest decision right now, to be fair. And it's all about the role, because you can't just create roles just for the sake of Arsene Wenger being Arsene Wenger, people. It just, it just wouldn't make sense, and it's not right. And it goes against his own logic. Um... Now, we're going off topic a bit. Well, that's Arsenal done. We'll probably pick up some Arsenal stuff. I've got my notes. But um, our neighbours, or in regards to, well, Watford and Arsenal are not neighbours, um, but our home grounds are, I mean, our home training grounds are, they've sacked their manager. Obviously, they've brought back their own manager, Flores, and they've sacked Javi Garcia, and it's quite sad. It's the way, it's the, way the game goes. I mean, Watford have had a terrible run. They're in the bottom three in the Premier League. They've had a poor start to the league. I said this in my last podcast and video, it took me by surprise because Watford, what they finished 10th or 11th, I think it was 11th last season, um, they got FA Cup final, that's a good season, that, that's a good season, I feel it's, it's harsh people, he should have, he's at least, at least should have been, there's no loyalty in football and at the end of the day it is what it is, but he should have at least been given a bit more time to sort it around, apparently he still retains the backing of the players who, when they found out allegedly via WhatsApp, this is what the paper said, they were quite angry. And I feel it's sad, man. I feel he he, he done all right. He's got them in his, in his two seasons there. He got, what, 11th and, 11th and 14th. He signed a, a contract extension last year. I believe since 2012, he's the first Watford manager to sign that. And we all know Watford's... Watford, I wouldn't say they've got a revolving door, but it, they do have a revolving door, people. They do change their manager more often than not. And they've... The fact that they got rid of Javi, Javi, sorry, Javi Garcia so quickly and brought um, and brought back their old manager in Flores, 
Um, how long have they always had that one lined up, people? To be fair with you, um, you it, it it makes you it really does make you wonder. To be fair, man, it it sucks, man. I feel it. I feel it for him, man. I really, really feel it for Javi Garcia because there's no there's no loyalty in football. But at the end of the day, if they feel he can't take them forward and they feel he's 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 stagnating and he, they're not able to advance, then cool. But I feel to sack a man early September, someone that got you the FA Cup final last season, yeah, you didn't win it. Someone that got you a top 10, top 11 finish, I can't remember specifically. It's it's sad, man. Hopefully he gets another role and he can do his own thing in, in that in that regards, man. Because it, it, does, it does suck people, really and truly. Staying with Arsenal, I cannot say this name, but apparently um, we've been looking at a player called Kivinka Kovaratskhelina. I... Yeah, apparently he play he plays for Ruben, and apparently Arsenal have watched him extensively with a view to making a move. Now again, people, Arsenal should be watching everybody. I should every club, but everyone physically possible. Having a scout in attendance does not necessarily mean you're gonna buy someone. It's just building up intel, building up knowledge. Um, sometimes scouts are scout for um independent organizations as well. Sometimes people are just going to enjoy the match. So we need to be very careful. But apparently he's 18 years of age. He's a midfielder. And when we did go and watch him last um, last time, he only came off the bench in the 77th minute. Um, so he's someone we're looking at. And apparently we, we looked at Golovin and whatnot. It's nice to see we're exploring all possible regions, to be fair with you. Because many players will be scouted and few will be signed. Like out of 100 players you scout people, you probably have a list of 10 potentially to sign. And from that, you probably sign two, three. But that's the way this, the scouting game goes, people. Um, so it, it is what it is in in that regards. Um, I don't think I've got any other things based on my Twitter notes to provide. Um, what else was I going to say? Um, let's move on. And people, first and foremost, before I talk about Alan Shearer and Michael Owen, I would like to talk about Roy Keane and Salix Ferguson. Now, it's something. It's something of nothing. It's nothing new. We all know they have beef. But I'd explore you all to go and I'm not finished it yet, people, but Roy Keane and Gary Neville, I don't know if the event was in Ireland, but they're speaking at a Cadbury's event. And I think it was a fantastic insight in regards to what I've listened to so far in that um, Roy Keane obviously spoke about Salix Ferguson. He spoke about when it was time to leave. He talked about problems with Kiros. He spoke about problems with today's footballers. He talked about how he went to extreme on a diet. Vaguely touched on mental health of, of a player. Um, had a bit of comedy moments in there. You know, Ray Keane's always gold in, in, in that regard. Uh, Gary never had some good talking points. Um, they made some comments around the captaincy stuff and the differences with Roy Keane and, and someone like Eric Cantona, who more leads by example. It, it's, quite a good, it's quite a good little listen on YouTube. So go and, go and click that, people. But I can't not speak about this. And he said, let me get my notes up. He said, people talk about Ferguson's man management. Nonsense. People said he always had the best interests of the club at heart. His brother was the chief scout for Manchester United for a long time. I'm surprised his wife was in, in the, involved in, in the staff somewhere. Darren, which is his son, people, was the manager at Preston North End and lost his job. He had a couple of young players on loan from Manchester United. Guess what happens the next day? They pulled out of Preston. Is that doing the best for United? Do me a favour. People talk about Ferguson's man management. Don't be kid on by all of it. I was at the club when Brian Robson left, when Steve Bruce left. Two brilliant service, servants for Manchester United. And I didn't like the way they were treated. Now, I'm not, I, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but the same way I love Arsene Wenger, I love Salix Ferguson, people. I'm not going to lie. Like, you lot know me, I'm a football purist. I think if you 
you know what Sir, Sir Alex Ferguson has done in this game, people. I mean, there's certain people I would love to, uh, if I ever get the day to sit across the room from him and Arsene Wenger and spill their brains and, and suck up their knowledge and whatnot, it would be lovely. Um, so I'm not really going to comment now. Of course, Sir Alex Ferguson had Manchester United's best interest in heart or he wouldn't have been able to keep going for so long. Of course, a bit of that, he's human. Like Arsene Wenger, it's going to tie into your own interest. Wenger didn't, to my knowledge, Wenger didn't have his brothers and whatnot on the, on the whatnot. But we'd all do that. I'd employ, I'd employ my brothers. I'd employ my, um, um, my son and whatnot. Of course, there's a bit of, is it nepotism or whatever the word is? Of course, there's that. And when the way Roy Keane's put that, of course, it doesn't necessarily sound like Roy Keane, I mean, like Alex Ferguson, is acting in the best interest. So it's a bit of both. Of course, he's going to help his family out and whatnot, people. Um, my pet peeve with Alex Ferguson, in fact, I'm not going to be upset about him doing it, is that I feel he personally could have left Manchester United in the last couple of years and could have done more to kind of fix up the squad, inject some real, real good players in there. Because there were some, he did start to try and think of the future. He got Zaha and whatnot. But I just feel he could have done more. But at the end of the day, it's not for him. Um... Moving on from that, people, moving back to uh, Michael Owen and Alan Shearer. As you know, Michael Owen's got a book coming out, and I think he's done a very good PR stunt. Not PR, but it's PR stunt, but very good PR in, in getting people talking and utilising social media because, I mean, I'm not buying Michael Owen's book. I'm going to torrent it, but some people are because um, of the controversy. Now, you've heard him speak about in relation to Liverpool wanting to get rid of Gerrard two years prior to him leaving. And he's also been beefing Shearer. Now, they were beefing on, on Twitter, people. And obviously, two, obviously, well, Michael Owen's a legend of Liverpool, a favoured player of Liverpool. Owen, um, Alan Shearer is nothing short of a Premier League and Newcastle legend. And he did his thing at Blackburn as well. Um, but he got, hit, he got at him as well, people. He's cleared the air, but it was interesting because I do know, we all know Alan Shearer was close to obviously joining Manchester United once upon a time. But Owen let it, let it, let it slip that essentially... He was close to joining Liverpool when Brian Robs when Robson left as well, people. So um it's an interesting one. It, it shows you I don't know how far loyalty really goes. They can't begrudge Alan Shearer for wanting to join Liverpool at the time. It would have been a better move, but who knows? Um carrying on with what actually been said, I think he's done a QA to clear the air and the question goes, I've got it written down. Have you spoken to Alan Shearer since the feud earlier this week? In which he's replied. No, sadly, me and Ian, me and Alan, sorry, were great mates for a long period of time. He was one of the main reasons I signed for Newcastle. It was only a year or two after I left Newcastle. I was about to pick up. The, I was about to pick up the phone to phone him, and I was speaking to a mutual friend, and he said, "Oh, I wouldn't call him. Why not?" I asked, and then the reasons started transcribing. So it was very strange and very sad in a way. But we live at different ends of the country, and not all is lost. Why did you fall out with Alan Shearer? Last game of the season away to Aston Villa, we needed to get something and I had been injured with a groin problem. I was coming back and I still had a week or two away from being fit, bearing in mind I had a, I had a history of muscle injuries. They plagued my career. Um, before I carry on, people, it does. I do get the vibe that, well, we already know Michael Owen truly, really and truly did not want to play for Newcastle beyond financial rewards or having to find a new club and obviously it sounds like he doesn't want to I can already without reading all of it it already sounds like there was little bickering between the two it sounds like a friendship gone sour but it seems like maybe we'll see in the next in the next couple of sentences but it seemed like Owen wasn't prepared to put his body on the line for the cause for the club that Alan Shearer would literally die for people really and truly so maybe that's why Alan Shearer got bad blood or maybe there's something in their post-playing career they just don't like each other because we will never know people we'll never know but carrying on 
Um, I knew my body better than anyone. To the day I, and sorry, I knew my body better than anyone. To the day I knew if I I was a day too early, it would re tear or something would go wrong. I was quite clearly a week away from playing, but we needed to get something. Alan wanted me in the team, and I said to him, "I think if you start me, I'm going to break down after I sprint. If I were you." I put me on the bench, and if you need a goal with ten to fifteen minutes to go, bring me on, and I'll just try to stay around the goal. He took that as if I didn't want to play or that I was scared of getting injured because I was out of contract, so it might affect my next club. That's the crux of it. Crux of it, and it's sad it happened like that. So clearly, there was conflicting reports in regards to playing and whatnot. Whether Owen was clearly down for the cause, but carrying on. In regards to the comments about you being unhappy despite being on a hundred and twenty thousand, I wasn't unhappy. I loved Newcastle. I loved the city, the people, and I loved playing there. And sadly, when you say a sentence and when someone stops it halfway through, then you don't get to mention it in the context. It's very different. What I said was that I didn't enjoy the second half of my career as much as the first. I was a good young player at the top of my game, winning awards and trophies. But the second half of my career. Injuries started catching up. If you're not as good, if you're not as good as your job as you once were, inevitably you don't enjoy it as much. Which I mean, you can't argue with him. That's like, what can you say? I, like I said, I ain't buying Michael Owen's book, but I'll definitely, I'll definitely torrent it because it'll be a good read. And to be honest, I've been thinking about just in terms of an extension of my stuff, just reviewing stuff. Like I know I watch football and I watch obviously the documentaries and all of these sort of things. But I always think to myself, should I diversify? So I might try to diversify people. A quick word on Arsenal's under-16s, and they defeated Chelsea at Hayland on, on Friday, and allegedly, from what I'm told, it was a good, very good game. Um, can't remember the right-back's name. I might do a vid, but we've got a good right-back within our academy. Our Amari Hutchinson, you can see on his Twitter account, very good, small, diminutive, technical-based player at, at Arsenal, which you've probably seen him on YouTube from about 14. Very good effort. Picks up the ball, drives past a couple of players and blasts it into the fine, for, um, into the far corner. Top bins. Hopefully that was seen by Arsenal's senior management at Hayland or whoever and they can look at him. Because I personally feel Arsenal's under-16s, for Arsenal fans, there's a lot to be excited about, man. There's some good players. There's Amari Hutchinson, there's Kayon Edwards, there's Mark Emeboe, um, there's Mon Louise who's playing for the 18s. Um, what's that right-back lad's name? Apologies, people. Let me find his name for you. And again, I don't. You don't know me. I don't sit here and say that um, I'm watching these players extensively, and I've got all of this knowledge and things like that, people. But um, I, I'm trying. Um, his name, the right back's name is Brooke Coffey Norton. He's decent. You've obviously got Flores, Marco Flores, signed from Ipswich, Mexican youth international. You've got Pantino. I've liked what I've seen from Edu Gaspar's son in the in the vague sort of minutes I've seen. He seems a very passionate individual and whatnot in regards to challenges. Um, so there's him. Um, who else is there? Um, I just believe that I just I just believe we should be confident about them people. Uh, moving on, I'm going a bit off topic, but one player I'm looking at, and I hopefully he gets more chances this season, is Brian Gill of Seville. He can play on the right. He's probably better on the left. He is. He's not slow, but he's one of them. It's like Ojarabo. Like they're not Ojarabo, the winger at Sochi. That it's like they're they're quick, but it's not. You look get what I mean in it. It's not blisteringly quick. It's not like a road runner winger sort of thing. They beat you with technical qualities and stuff. I think he's very graceful. He's got wonderful technique, and he's someone I'm. I've made a video about him, but he's someone I'm definitely looking at Arsenal to try and 
bring over and whatnot people. Um, and I hope they we can conv- convince him to sign for the club and whatnot. But moving on from that, people, you lot know Manchester City is a tough one to play for. Ra- Manchester City, for me, I'm not gonna lie, people. I think, I think if I had a son and they were 16 years of age, I'd want them to make it at any club that they're at. But I'd say it's a, you got to look at it from a different point of view. If I was playing for Arsenal or any of these top six sides, specific to City. I'm going there from a young age, from 16 to 18. I'm just trying to benefit from the elite level of coaches, the elite playing squad, because you're fighting about two, three players that are all equally as good as you to play week in, week out. Use that to your advantage. By the time you get to 18, leave and go to a team where there's a pathway, people. Do you get it? Because there's not necessarily a pathway at City. Yes, you could say there's folding in the side, but just by looking at the players they bring in, it's almost impossible. I mean, City's recruitment is excellent, people, abroad and here. Domestically, there's not a player they don't know about. There's not a player that they're not far from signing. There's not a player they haven't got onto. You look at Jaden Sandro, um, Tyler Richards, and um, Rabbi Matondo. None of them made first team for for City, but they all were provided with an environment to improve themselves. And then they all left to go and play better football after joining from Fulham, Cardiff, and Watford, respectively. So they've you seen what I'm saying, people? You join City 15-16, you take advantage of the better being at a Cat One club and things like that. And then you keep it moving and go elsewhere where you have more of a chance of making it. Do you get it, people? Um, but from a City point of view, that's they make their money, isn't it? Um, they've made their money. It's going to be tough, people, because I think City got some wonderful domestic talents. They've got, is it Rowan McDonald, Tommy Doyle, whose family used to play for City? Um, is, is it Bellis, um, Tyler Harwood Bellis? I can never say his name. The centre-half, Felix Nemechia. Um, They've got Joe Hodge. They've got some very good players. They've got some good... Homegrown players that they've bought from elsewhere. West Ham's Josh Wilson S. Brand, 16-year-old left back. They've signed Morgan Rogers from West Bromwich Albion. Ben Knight from Ipswich. Um, and how many? They, 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 there was a 15, 14-year-old they signed from. They signed from Bolton. They signed. Uh, they signed someone from Millwall as well. So these, to be honest, and they're only paying a couple of k, sometimes a million, but a couple of k for these players now. For the for, let's be honest, it's 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 good for all parties. Yes, you could say you stay at Millwall, you stay at Fulham, you stay at these clubs, you have more of a chance of making it, and of course you do. But you've got to look at football. I'm not saying City do this, but the potential of a big signing on fee, which is a couple hundred thousand, which can potentially help your family. Your family could be presented with jobs and 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 living arrangements. People, obviously, I've just spoken about the pathway and developing and stuff. And if you don't end up making it there, you could probably make it somewhere else. And for City, it's not a risk because yeah. Fulham, not Fulham, Bolton and Millwall could be absolutely vexed that someone's taking their players for 100k or whatever and exploited the compensation fee system. Um, that that money will go into them. But for City, that's nothing. If he doesn't make it there, then it's cool. It's 100,000. It's not like they spent 70 million on a player where there'd be more question marks. So it is tough, people. Um, making it at City is, is tough. And one player, I hope he makes it there, but Claudio Gomez, I I enjoyed watching him at PSG in France's youth level. He's gone on loan to PSV's second division side now after leaving PSG to go to Man City, which you would say is a bit of a sideways step. In fact, you could probably argue PSG are better with young players than City because you can pinpoint academy-based players at, um, within PSG's first team. You can look at Kimbembe, you can look at... Um, as you say, got just 17-year-old started on the weekend. You obviously got Dagbar. There's a couple of players, and there's been some that have obviously been sold. They had Ariola at a point. Um, City, how many domestic homegrown players are regular players or anything close to that? Would you say Phil Foden is a rotation option, or would you say he's a backup as away from his ability? My heart is saying he's a rotation option. My heart, my brain is telling me he's a backup. People making it at City is tough. 
If you're going to City, I don't feel players are going to City, even Arsenal now. You're not going to these clubs to make it there. You're going to develop. Look at Castillo, who left Ajax to go sit, to go Chelsea and he's back there now. Him and his dad were giving interviews saying that that's what they're on. And even if you look at young Latibode, um, I cannot say his name, the centre-half at City, um, I really like his mentality. He's not the, And I think, first and foremost, he shows the culture problem with England because I've seen people say he's not tall enough to be a centre-half. When statistically, if you go to St, I haven't been, but if you go to St George's Park, or, um, England's training ground, Latabode's name is very high for jumping records. People, in fact, he smashed a couple of them. So he, his height's almost irrelevant. He's 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 good in the air for someone who's not necessarily tall. He's good at ball playing. For me, one thing that I think will will stand him in good stead, he's got an elite mentality. He's bounced back from two more or less two serious injuries. Um, he's very he's 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 got the captain mentality. He doesn't let things phase him. He don't in good moments he doesn't get too excited. In bad moments he don't get his head down. And that's going to help you as a professional footballer, let alone a young player. He's gone out on loan to FC Twente to play football. Of course, even if he does play football, it will be difficult for him to make it there. But he wants to seize his opportunity. And what he's actually said is. I feel I feel like it's time where I just need to be playing. It can be very frustrating, frustrating because I believe I've got the ability. And I know if I was if I'm given a chance, I won't let it go. I want to be the best I can be, and to do that, I have to be playing first team football. When you're injured, your name can sometimes be swept under the rug a bit, and I need to be out there playing men's football. I want to go into battle. I've always wanted a chance to play abroad at some stage and I feel like this is going to be a big season for me and I just need that opportunity to prove myself. Nothing will stop me. If a pathway is presented at City as a result, I will think about it. And another young... See, this is what I'm saying, people. He wants to seize his future, whether it's at City or elsewhere. You look at City as well, they've got Brunombe, who's a good technical-based footballer, but I think he can show more. Um... Eric Garcia, who's a good centre-half, and I think he might be one to make it at City. City have got a lot of players, people. Homegrown, sourced from abroad, um, players bought from rival clubs, homegrown. Their scouting team is elite, people. Um, obviously, there's another debate to be had, but I think players are genuinely looking at it from 15 years of age and saying, you know what, the sort of player I can be in terms of coaching by going to see at 18 will put me in, in, in good stead elsewhere, people. Because City are going to keep signing these players. And you see many players leaving City. You, 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 um, is it Divisham went went to Holland and went to Germany? Diaz, which you don't make sense, went to Madrid and he's not playing. Um, a player left to go Celtic. Players are running down contracts. You see a couple of it, people. And I think City have, City have some great players that can progress through that academy. Especially for me, I really like Tommy Doyle, but it'll be tough to break through as a centre mid. Um, they've got some real good players. I think Joe Hodge, he's 16. He's going to have a future as well because of his mentality. Josh Wilson Espran is a left back on everybody's lips from West Ham and he's gone to City now. I don't know for the compensation fee and whatever, but it, it, it is what it is in that regards, people. Um it is it is what it is. Um so yeah. Moving on and rather some you don't know me, I'm never gonna shy away from speaking about racism, people. Um I think we need to I think we need to speak on this. And he said, apologies, people, I was reading it. Marvin Robertson, former Premier League footballer who now works at the FA's regu regu Regulatory Commission, um, has had a lot to say, people, in regards to how we can help players and whatnot. 
and I'm paraphrasing a bit because he spoke about several different contexts, especially like even the troubles of BAME players getting to football, getting to get into academies because I've seen it myself. People will say players have an attitude problem, they're always late to training, but the real reason they're late is because the team they've been scouted for is they, is in South London. They live in North London. They have to leave school, go home and get their stuff and get on the trains or get on the trains and go and get there because they're making their own way there. They're obviously going to be a bit late or they have to do whatever sort of transport. Or their mum has to do whatever transport for to get there versus the kid whose mum's mum and dad are business owners, life or they're just born into money. Football is just seen as a game for them. They'll always turn up on time and whatnot. Is there's more than meets the eye. I think this is why football football is not a game for especially the young kids coming from inner city London because we're not playing by the same rules. And that's why I love seeing these inner city London kids make it. We're not playing by the same rules. Football is a game and should always be in, enjoyed. But I like to see players, especially coming from where I'm coming from, get the hell out of there because what would they be doing if not? What would what could happen to them? Not even if they were necessarily going down the wrong path, but we all know wrong place, wrong time can do a lot of things. Making it as a footballer, so first and foremost, makes that struggle and sacrifice worth it because there's plenty of kids that are that are being late to training because they're having to take two, three, four trains um, by themselves and are not going to make it. So first and foremost, it rewards their hard work, enables them to put on for their family because who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to be able to buy their mum and dad a house or do nice things or lift themselves out of poverty and whatnot? I, I salute it, people. I really salute it, man. You look at even Zlatan Ibrahimovic in Sweden. He said he had to ride bike to training and that. And this is why football's not a joke for us because more time, our families don't have the money to really support this football thing. If, if they have the money, they don't necessarily have the time because there's several, if not several siblings, your mum or dad, they have to work as well. So you have to take your way to football. All of these things make it tougher. It's not a game, people. It's really not a game. But let me be honest, especially for these young black players, I'm not going to... It's not a game, people. It's not a game. It's not a game because I see it. I see it. All academies are going, what? I see it. It's not a game. And that's why when people say these young black players, they're never smiling. They've got an attitude problem. It's not. It's because this thing is not a game. This is not a game. This is life and death for, for some people. Do you get it, people? It's not a game. But moving on, he said, if a white player is quiet, is quiet, he's the consummate professional. Not consummate professional. I know I can't read people, but you know that word. If a black player is quiet, he's a loner who doesn't care enough. If a white player is outspoken, he's passionate. If a black player is outspoken, he's disruptive. You see it with Raheem Sterling if he shows any com confidence. The perceptions are di very different. And that is very true. That's in life, people. Obviously, people call Conor McGregor an idiot and things like that and recognise he's an idiot. But compare Conor McGregor to Mayweather or people like that. The one worse thing than just being black, especially in this in, in, in football in the media world, is being black and knowing that you're black and knowing you've got money. Look at Muhammad Ali, one of the most humblest people in the world. You go and speak to people old enough to have met him, especially when he came to London, they all say how down to earth he was, how we did all of these things for him, how we treated him as a brother and all of these things. But what would they focus on? The fact that Muhammad Ali was very confident because he knew he had to be. He was confident, young, black and confident. So that's what they called him. Arrogance. Didn't know what he wanted to do. They want you to... Black players are the only ones expected to have money and not spend a penny of them. They just want you to be very thankful and just shut up, yes sir, sort of thing. Which is not on. Moving on. Let me find the other bit. You either have to... No. I think that's I think that's it, Pete. I think I think that's it. I think I think that's it. But there's some. This is when Mika Antonio's also spoken on racism as well. I think that was. I think that's all I've got from Marvin Robertson, people, which was a good soundbite. Clearly, when I did these notes, I was just looking for soundbites. But um, Company has said something as well. He said, 
You're dealing with a group of people. He to put into to put into terms just the context of the statement. Um, company believes the FA, FIFA, UEFA, any governing bodies, they're just simply not doing enough to to help individuals, which is true. People, um, he said, you're dealing with a group of people and decision makers who are trying to explain to Romeo how he should be feeling and what he should think about this. When actually we have no decision makers who are remotely in touch with what he's experiencing. So what he gets, what he's getting by that is clearly we need more bay, more black or marginalised groups in regards to positions of power, which is true, people, because they'd immediately be able to sum up how it felt. Which obviously I'm not saying I'm not saying you need to be a, a race or a particular group of people to stand up and be counted, which a lot of people from all walks of life do. But you do have to believe, and I, I believe it myself. If if a lot of these FA chairmen and whatnot were directly affected by it or could put themselves in the shoes of people that have been oppressed and been treated like this, they would fix it, people, really and truly. It's, the same, it's completely different, but it's the same way with black coaches. People have every excuse after, under the sun for black coaches or the lack of them. Oh, they're not good enough. Okay, they're obviously going to believe black managers or coaches that are simply part of my language. Shit, that's going to happen. You've got Sir Alex Ferguson's, you've got Glenn Roders. The talent of white managers is is ridiculously big. But nobody says, because this manager messes up, oh, they, none of them are good. So why are we playing these silly rules, people? It's silly. It's, it's really silly. Um, it's, 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 really, it's really silly. It's really, really silly. Moving on, McAntonio has said something. He said, you either have to find clubs ridiculous money or take away points because that affects the fans. He said, I always, I always found that Wait, he said, when the when money gets taken from the club, the fans don't really care. If you deduct points, it has a real impact, which is true, people. And I really like what I've seen by him. He said, he said this as well. He said, I sh I shouldn't really say this in case I have a play for them, but Millwall got fined ten thousand for racist chanting last season. Leeds got fined thirty for having a member of staff watching Derby training from a public path. So Snodgrass got fined twenty five million for shouting at a drug testing official. How does that work? Is racism lower down? And it's cool, and it's true, people. You get away with racism again because it's not these these lots of issues, people, really and truly. And he spoke about how the first time he was called, he was um he actually I haven't got the, the notes, but in, in the report that I've taken this from, he actually spoke about the first time he was racially abused. And in a bet and he's and he's also said and he's also said, so if you go if you go back to if you go back to who is he now expecting a decision from the institutions that's where the problem lies real racism lies in the fact that none of these in institutions have representatives that can actually understand well this is companies now people apologies that can actually understand what Romeo is going through that's the real issue on the boards at UEFA and in England and in Italy and most places there's a problem with diversity in places of power and in boardrooms if you don't have that diversity then you can't have the right decision in terms of sanctions. It's as simple as that. So I don't. I must have been in a rush in my lunch break because I haven't put things in the right place. So that little bit about, well, the bit about racism further um, is racism lower down was Antonio's. The bit I've just read was from Company. But back to Antonio in a rather good light, people rather better that light now. It shows you why you should never give up. Because I mean, you look at Mings and Antonio. Um, Antonio had to come up from Severy Pro. Mings was released. He lived in a homeless shelter. He worked as a mortgage advisor. Both were close to, to giving up and Antonio's been capped by England and Mings has been called into the England squad. So it shows if you never give up, things can happen. And it shows sometimes you might have to do something else while working on your other dream. Because he's now, obviously, I'm sure he didn't want to be a mortgage advisor and he wanted to be a footballer. But at some point he had to balance the two. Um, did you get it, people? And now he's gone on to become a Premier League footballer. 
So why you should never, you should never, pardon me, is why I should never ever give up. And he said, I always said to myself that I'd be, a, I'd be a professional, but all my friends had money and I had nothing. I was making 150 a week playing in old F50s, F30s from JD. I was ready to pack it in, but my brother knew how much I'd given for given up for football. He said he'd buy me a new pair of boots if I carried on. I've never had a real pair of boots in my life. He bought me a pair of Total 90s, the one Rooney used to wear. And within three months, I got signed for Reading. You learn to form that never say die attitude to keep going. In the lower leagues, it can be very easy to say, I'm happy to have finally got where I am. But you have to aspire to be more. I always wanted to be better. Some people like that. Some people are like that. Some people don't. Some call it arrogance. Some call it confidence. But you've always got to believe in yourself and have that resilience. And... I've actually met Mikel Antonio and I can say of all the footballers I've met, him and Gareth Bale are two of the most down-to-earth characters. In fact, I'm, all of them have been down-to-earth. I'd say Javinho was the most comf- confident around everybody, um, but Bale, Bale and, and, and Antonio were very humble. Bale was almost shy and I was thinking, you're Bale playing for Spurs. Why are you shy to... Yeah, you're looking at the floor in that. And Antonio's just ridiculous. Like, he's a good guy, man. Like, the event I met him at, he was giving us Arsenal fans banter. Cause I, was, I, asked him, I was like, why are you bantering us on Twitter? He's like, you look, need to hack it. He was, he was ribbing us back a bit. But he's a good, he's good people, man. I like I like Mick Antonio. I've got a signed West Ham shirt from him in, in, in my wardrobe. So, yeah. In rather nasty, nasty notes, people. Um, um, Christopher Metzelda has had to step down from President Roy at his, at his boyhood club, T... T.U.S. Holton, um, after he was questioned by police as part of an investigation into the distribution of child pornography, the club said in a statement. Boy, apparently he sent it to a female recipient in Hamburg with pictures of child pornographic content through WhatsApp. If he has done that, we've got to be very careful because he's not been convicted, but if he has done that, throw the book at him and that's absolutely disgusting, especially in a role he has so that's the the less said about that the better i'm not going to waste time harping on about just quite simply disgusting sort of things like that um off topic but arsenal's emil smith Rowe and balogun have been nominated for the premier league two player of the month as has manchester united's james garner and i think james garner has a strong case of winning that personally people um but yeah, I don't think I've got anything more to add. We've spoken about Arsenal, we've touched on some general points and I've also spoken in relation to racism. There's really not been much of things to talk about to make of it, but yeah, man, I'm going to get out of here. People deluded, stay safe. Thank you for watching each and every time. Thank you for listening better yet. Um, check out my YouTube for other content um, and thank you very much for just rocking with me however frequently or however much you do. It means a lot. DG, I'm out.